Hello and welcome to Six Sad World. I'm Jasmine. And I'm Mari. So this week's episode, we are doing something special for Jasmine's birthday. Y'all, I'm going to be close to 30 than like 20 real soon, real soon. Oh my gosh. It's today, by the way, yeah. when you're listening to this. Today is Jasmine's birthday, so happy birthday. Here's a fun little fact. Um, Earth, Wind, and Fire, mm-hmm. September, the first line of the song is my birthday. So if y'all can't get it from that, then I have no faith in you. I'm sorry. <laughs> And usually every birthday, I like to send the music video. Yeah. Because it's one of our favorite karaoke songs. It's a very good song. It's- An oldie but a goodie. Yeah. Yeah. It's I same. agree. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so I haven't come up with a catchy name for this week's episode yet. But our theme this week is media. Nope. Nope. <laughs> That's not what it is. <laughs> Horror media kind of stuff. So we're going to talk about books and yep. movies um, that we like yep. and enjoy or have recently li- read. Conceived. Like <laughs> one of us <laughs> took to mean this uh, theme to mean. Yeah. But um, we just want, or I just, because this was my pick, I just want this episode to be like fun. You know, sometimes we can get a little bit heavy handed with is reasonable because we're talking about very, very serious things. But it's my birthday. And I want to, you know, smile and laugh and talk about things that I like and kind of why, you know, we're in this together. Yeah. Yes. If that makes sense. Okay. So, do you want to go first since it's your birthday? Sure. Why not? Okay. All right. So, this one is actually pretty, pretty, pretty special for both of us because, like, this was sort of like, I'm going to talk about a movie. I don't Maybe the, what it is. It's a movie. Um, and, like, <laughs> I didn't like horror before, as I've said many a time. I'm going to reiterate that. I was not a fan of horror for a very, very long time because it scared the shit out of me. Despite my many encouragements yeah, to gonna- get into the... <laughs> we're going to sound like broken records, but, like, I was, I was not about it, and Mari was for most of my life. Um, So, I will be talking about Cabin in the Woods today. Yeah! Which is a film that came out in 2012, so six years ago. Um, I'm going to tell you now, there are going to be spoilers because I feel like, personally, it's been long enough where I'm like, if you haven't seen it, then, like, you probably aren't really going to watch it at this point. Or maybe it'll make you curious to go watch it, even though you already know I'm going to tell you what's, what's going down in this film. Um, I feel like we can get away with I'm not if, super, if we don't super say the ending, like we're good. Oh, I'm not because the ending I think is the biggest twist. The like the ending ending, like the very yeah, very like the yeah. last like minute of the film. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not even gonna talk about that. Um, so, uh, Cabin in the Woods. I would describe it as like sort of like a gateway movie into like horror for those who are like me, who are like no with horror, like. Turn and push. <laughs> Turn and push. Like, I don't want it. Go away. Um, so Cabin in the Woods, I believe it has Chris Hemsworth in it as well. Like, pre, like, 
um, Avengers fame and whatnot. Yeah, a lot of people were like, he was in that movie? Yeah, he is. He plays the... He's the jock guy. He is the jock guy. (laughs) I don't believe you. I'm looking it up. No, for for reals. For realsies. Like, look it up. Anyway, while you do that, um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to give a little personal anecdote about this. Um, (laughs) So, Cabin in the Woods is the first film that didn't make me want to, like, immediately invert into my own soul and, like, disappear forever. Um, it is. It is him. He's the first one on the list. Yeah, see? He's not the first one I'd put on yeah. the list, but he's there. He's there, yeah. And what I mean by that oh, is... Oh, right, and Jesse Williams. Oh, yeah! I totally forgot it was him. Yeah. So did I. Oh, dang. Wow. Um, so what do I mean by soul inversion? <laughs> inversion, not inversion. Sorry, I'm like getting like French and English mixed up now with like T-I-O-N. Anyway, um, is... <laughs> Like, any sort of horror film prior to that time um, was, like, torture. Like, real-life torture for me. Um, Movies like The Grudge taught me that the horror doesn't end once the runtime is over or after the first nightmare-filled night. It taught 11-year-old me that the fear could go on for a whole dang year. So, (laughs) I have a reason to not really like horror. Um, Anyway, when I watched Captain in the Woods, it was very refreshing. Not saying it wasn't scary at some points, but there are certain aspects of it that made me go, this is a cool film. (laughs) Um, So essentially, it's a bunch of college kids. I think they're on summer vacation. It's either summer or spring break. Summer or spring break. And you know, they're going to go to a cabin in the woods, hence the title of the film. And anyone who's watched or read or consumed any sort of like horror thriller-esque thing, you know, you you don't do that. And what's interesting about this film is that it it takes the, like, stereotype yes. of Cabin in the Whoop type films, like, think Evil Dead. Yeah. And they've got all of the archetypes for characters. Exactly. They've got the, like, bookish, good girl. Um, the jock. The jock, the stoner. The preppy girl. Are we forgetting somebody? Jesse Williams is the jock, the sensitive jock. Sensitive jock, like, smart like, oh, I didn't know he was so sensitive and smart sort of character. Um, now, I'm not saying this is the best horror film I've ever seen, but I found it fun. And I felt like it's a, worth mentioning in, like, this list that we're doing for this episode. Um, I like how they base this movie around horror tropes. Because not... The only time you see horror movies really self-aware of what's going on is, like, those scary movie movies. And, like, even then, it's mostly just sort of, like, parodying, like, iconic moments from horror films. Well, did you did you watch Scream at all? Yes, I watched the first Scream. Because uh, that, like, that whole movie, the whole idea of it is the killer base... I, I, kills based off of the horror movie tropes, so, like... I don't really remember much of that film, to be honest. <laughs> I watched all of them, including the fourth that came out with, um, what's her name? Emma Stone? No. Watson. She was in a Scream film? Um, the one who was also in Scream Queens. Oh, um, I get Emma all- Roberts. Cause she's, Roberts. She's like Julia Roberts' niece? Oh. Or something? Yeah. That makes a lot yeah. of sense, actually. Yes. Um, yeah, she's in it. And it's terrible. <laughs> I hate it. I don't like the fourth one. It's bad. But 
Well, usually when you get that far, it's not going to be good. It's fourth. I think it's the fourth one. If it's the third, I'm going to sound real silly. But don't the first... add us. <laughs> <laughs> no, do. <laughs> Fight me on Twitter. I dare you. Uh, <laughs> at Six Head World SSW. Yes. In case you needed the plug. Exactly. Um, But yeah, like the first three I really loved because it is that like, and that one's more from the 90s. Yeah. And, um, yeah, the killer is going based off of, like, tropes. So, like, if, um, like, in the first movie, she hadn't had, she was a virgin. Yeah. And then she had sex with her boyfriend, and now she could be a victim. um, And stuff like that. And then the first one also had Drew Barrymore in the very beginning. Oh, yes, on the phone. Sweet, young Drew Barrymore. Yes. Very, very, very naive. Who, like, very... when I first started watching, I was like, Drew Barrymore's in this movie? And then two minutes later, I was like, Drew Barrymore's not, not in, in this movie. movie. She's definitely not. <laughs> um, and, like, I kind of want to go more into detail about, like, why I like how this movie tackles horror movie tropes. Is like It is very different. Yeah, it's, like, the whole, for example, going down into a basement trope in horror films. Um in the movie, everything, this is a little bit of a spoiler, is orchestrated by outside forces. I'm not going to say what kind of forces. Um, I'm sure you can guess. <laughs> who know these things are tropey. Tropey? Sorry, that, that sounded weird for a second. Tropey. Um, but they need it to be this way. They're like, oh, this person isn't this thing, but they need to be this thing. Mm. Does that make sense? Well, I, you you've seen the movie, so you. It makes sense to me because I know what you mean, but I'm pretty sure it does not make sense to anybody like, who I hasn't seen it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So what I mean by that, I also kind of spoiler is characters breaking their tropes. Um. So they're assigned tropes. For example, like the the smart kind of jockey guy, like that's who he is, but they wanted him to be something else. I don't remember exactly what they hit the trope he was trying to fit. But when they go down to the basement, essentially without realizing it, they're assigning themselves the tropes that they, they have to fit for the rest of the duration of the film. And these outside forces get unhappy when they don't follow their designated storylines. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's tons of like little nods towards the audiences that like things are weirder than you would think. Like, for example, there's a moment in the film where they are heading to the cabin and they have to go through this treacherous, like, mountainscape to get to said cabin. And, like, a bird is flying and then it explodes. And you're like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not until later when something else explodes. Not a bird. Much bigger than a bird. You're like, oh, things are really, really weird. And by that time, you're like... It makes more sense. Because there's... Yes. <laughs> yeah, what I really liked about Cabin in the Woods was that it, like... It started off as one kind of movie. Yeah. But then the end was like, nope, we're doing something completely yes. different. Which was, like... It was. It was really refreshing. Yeah. Like, it's just... We're not seeing that there aren't other films that sort of, like, take these classical horror things and, like, throw you something else. But this is sort of, like, the most creative at that time. And actually, 
like still for me like sort of the best sort of like twist I've seen in terms of like um a less than standard horror film mm-hmm. uh even though we're talking a lot about how like kind of like twisty and turny it is there are genuinely at least at the time when I watched it um scary moments in the film oh yeah because they found I mean, a way there's... to blend the two together it's it's like it's monster movie meets slasher film meets science fiction? science fiction meets comedy comedy like <laughs> I feel like I'm just naming genres at this point because it fits a lot. There's like a, like a romance in it, but I mean that's to be expected. Yes, there. That's the one thing you can expect in every goddamn movie. It's a little bit even when real. it's completely unnecessary <laughs> it's like but then, but then someone falls in love but what they do with that storyline yes. i really liked and i won't i won't say it like i really at first when i did this i was like i'm gonna i'm gonna lay it all out on the table i'm gonna tell y'all everything but the more i talk about it the more i realize that i still have fond memories of that film and my experience watch, watching it and i'm like you know what let's give them Let's let them have the experience. Let's let them have the same experience. I mean, I'm assuming at this point most of our listeners I'd have like probably that... watched it. Yeah, but I'm sure there are a few people who are like, "Oh, that looks like a like whatever movie. Like it's like anything else." Because the way that it's marketed is very much like, "Oh, this is your average creepy cabin in the woods type story." But then it's not? Yeah, and that's kind of funny, because when it first came out, it came out in 2012, <laughs> and, like, it was, like, like you said, it was marketed. Like, I didn't even know the movie had come out when it came out. It was, like, a very low-budget film. Chris Hemsworth wasn't a big A-list star. Like, I think the biggest draw was that it was written by Joss Whedon. Yeah, that was it. It got more success post-release like when it's like when like i think dvd blu-rays when it came out on blu-ray or dvd at the time like it got more hype i thought once it was in theaters it, like, re- it really kicked up later on well that makes sense i'm pretty sure that's when i watched it i don't think it was in theaters anymore i didn't know it was in theaters i literally did not know the movie existed until it came out on, oh like, well then DVD yeah because i definitely watched it after you yeah one anecdote about this movie yeah from my experience, was that I'm pretty sure I watched this movie talking to Jasmine. So I had watched it many times, and I made sure to tell basically everyone about this film. I'm like, yo, listen. I'm if I sure can watch why. this film, you can watch this film. So I wanted to talk to people about it, but no one had heard of it. And so I was like, okay, I'll watch the movie. <laughs> I feel like that was the entire conversation. was like, I really want to talk about this movie. Yeah. Can you watch it? That's probably what happened. <laughs> I, I did that a lot back then. This is like a little thing about me is once I got into horror, I really got into horror, but the movies I was watching at the time, a lot of my friends hadn't watched yet. So I'd be like, watch it. Because I need to talk to someone about how I feel about this thing. It's really funny the change in our our horror dynamic. Because <laughs> yeah. now I'm like, I cannot watch them in yeah. theaters. I am terrified constantly. I need to have something blocking my eyes, just in case. Like, so. <laughs> but, but, so, yeah. I'm pretty sure we were on Skype, and Jasmine was talking me through the whole movie, and I think, like, there was a part where someone 
got injured. I didn't think I was going to get injured. Yeah. And I was like, oh, what? And yeah. you were just like, it's okay. It's okay. Just make it to the end. Oh, I think I know what you're talking about. This is like very much like inside, inside, inside jokey thing. But like, yeah, because I was sort of like the, 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 the lowest level bar. Like if Jasmine can get through this thing without having nightmares for the rest of her life, then like then it's good. It's, like, soft core level more. <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, even with the grudge, everyone else was like, oh, that was so whatever. What do you, you mean everyone like, else? Like, no one else watched the film but, like, me, you, and, like, maybe Danielle. No, I thought Colin watched it, too. Colin didn't like horror. But we made him watch. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I did, Jasmine. That was my impact. Remember, that's why we watched It together. <laughs> But it wasn't, I was never worried about it. It was so old that, like, it. There was that giant spider bit. Mm. That one, I didn't like that part. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, back to, back to circle this back around. Like, Cabin in the Woods was, like, one of those movies with, like, a shared, ex- like, a, like a, you had to share with other people. Because there are so many things you wouldn't ex- expect. Especially about halfway through the film, they start revealing a lot of the things and you're like wait what <laughs> so then what is real what is happening there's there's like a scene i want to talk about but it gives away the like big twist like the halfway twist not the like end twist because there's multiple <laughs> there's like multiple twists and like the twist i really want to talk about like kind of spoils like half the film because it's revealed, like, you, there's two things, there's two plot lines kind of going on in the film, and they don't necessarily relate, or reveal how they're connected until, like, halfway through the film, and you're like, oh, oh. That's what's happening. And you're like, oh, it's not just happening here, it's Mm -hmm. happening everywhere? And then, like, more things come up, and just keeps adding to the pile of things that you're like, oh. And then when you watch it again, like I did. I watched it multiple times, too. You see more things. You're like, ah, so that's why that person was sitting there in that car. Or that's why that person said that really one really weird thing that, like, didn't really make any sense. But I guess because that person was creepy, you kind of just dismiss it because they're creepy. But it has more context now. Yeah. It's 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 just clever in that sense. And... It's killing me that I can't say what I, or I've chosen not to say more about what kind of specific things that I really like about this film. Like, oh, I really like this one character specific thing happened or like, I like, this is not really a spoiler, but one of the characters is a stoner Mm. and like, they kind of- His bong mug, (laughs) coffee mug is the greatest invention ever and I want one. That's at the very beginning of the movie, so it's not a spoiler. Yeah, but what I wanted to say is that, like, the whole thing with tropes is, like, you don't expect much from a stoner kid. You really don't. But, like, from the beginning, what I want to say about him is they treated him like a character, like, not just the the guy who smokes weed. It's like your actual friend who smokes weed all the time instead of, like, that guy that you actually hate and didn't really get to know because he was a stoner. Yeah. So, like, that's nice. Yes. I liked how they handled the characters, like we mentioned before. They, outside forces, are manipulating them in one way or another. 
And I just like how in most horror movies, the characters, they're not really characters. They're not really people. They're not really much of anything. And despite what kind of character traits are assigned to these people, they do show, despite how long they're on screen, because, you know, people, people do die in this film. They show turns that there was, out. Turns out. <laughs> people do die. But, um, that there's more to them. There's more to the preppy girl. There's more to that jock guy. There's more to the innocent virgin girl. Like, there's more depth to them, which you don't get. I don't see a lot in the horror movies that, or horror content that I've consumed in my 25 years. <laughs> 25 years. <laughs> my 25 years on this planet. So yeah, I like that a lot about about the film on top of everything else that Mari and I will probably talk about after we're done recording <laughs> this. I can just be like, blah, 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 blah. That's, that's great. You should DM us on Instagram and Twitter. Instagram for Jasmine and Twitter for me. And just like hit us up with your opinions and your feelings. Yeah. And then we can gush about it to you. And you don't have to like be like, oh, I also feel the same way. If you're like, no, I hated it and this is why. That's also cool too. And I'd actually be really curious yeah. to know what people disliked about it. Because I did like it so much. Like I made, I mean, my partner watch it yeah. when we got together. I watched it by myself. I feel like I made somebody else watch it. It's one of those movies that you just you just got to get everyone <clears throat> to watch. Um, I don't know. I feel like if we were to watch it now, we'd be able to be like, oh, so I could see someone not liking this particular thing. I could see mm. how someone... Or maybe we'd be like, oh, I don't like this thing anymore, this particular scene or what this character said or whatever. Yeah, six years is a really long time. And yeah. we've grown a lot and changed yeah. a lot in six years. But for the most part, overarching, I'd say it's a pretty solid film. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you're looking for something different, but still kind of spooky, not spooky necessarily, excuse me, Um, more like slasher scary than like spooky scary. You're not going to get like... It's not like a ghost story type of deal. You're not going to get like the, the exorcist or like the conjuring sort of like scary, haunting, spooky, spooky sort of thing. You're going to get more of like scream, more of... What's the one with that guy? That other... That other Friday the 13th. Mm. Like, you're not... It's it's more along those lines. It's the slasher sort of stuff. Yeah. And I think that's all I can really say about... <laughs> cabin in the woods because it's just that that surprising that much of a, like a fun ride that I don't really want to tell you guys anymore for those who haven't seen it who I hope will want to see it now because they're like ooh mystery surprise you've, you've got me you've got me hooked I'm a fish I got you like hopefully that's the impression that we gave what's happened with cabin in the woods I hope so so my first pick I like um, that shoulder move you just did there. It was really good for everyone that missed it. Yeah. You wish you could be here. <laughs> I make very weird disjointed movements with my body when I speak. Very similarly to how I speak, actually. And <laughs> um, you'd really enjoy it if you could see us, but you can't. I'm excited so. to hear yours. I, I don't actually... Huh. 
I don't actually. <laughs> Sorry. A, a, a honking car startled me. <laughs> I'm sure you can hear it. Um, but yeah, I haven't, I haven't, uh, like, read yours. So, <clears throat> I'm excited. Cool. So, I picked the book The Scarlet Gospels by Clive Barker. Um, for those of you that are familiar with Clive Barker, this is one of his newer books. Um, but it's like a return to his earlier style. Is Clive Barker the one who did, um, oh my goodness, I've watched uh, the, the Pinhead, what's the? Yeah, uh, the Hellraiser. That's it, the Hellraiser series. Yes, um, the move, the Hellraiser movies are based off of his books. I believe it's off of the Hellbound Heart, um, is where Pinhead comes from. And yeah. the Scarlet Gospels is actually supposed to be like a prequel no. to it. Mayhaps something. <laughs> um, I have a book in front of me, so I'm going to read you what the back has because I feel like that's going to be a better explanation than me trying to explain it to you without giving spoilers. Yeah. Um, the Scarlet Gospels, an instant New York Times bestseller. Ooh, just in case you need to know, <laughs> takes readers back many years to the early days of two of Clive Barker's most iconic characters in a battle of good and evil as old as time. The long-beleaguered detective Harry Damore, investigator of all supernatural, magical, and malevolent crimes, faces off against his formidable and intensely evil rival, Pinhead, the priest of hell. Barker devotees have been waiting for the Scarlet Gospels with bated breath for years, and it's everything they've begged for and more. Bloody, terrifying, and brilliantly... Okay, that's just... That's just other people's opinions. Okay. Um, so... The first books I ever read by Clive Barker were his more recent books, um, like The Thief of Always and Mr. Be Gone. Um, and, like, The Thief of Always is actually a really good one, but it's less on the horror side. It's, like, a... It's kind of, like, a horror fantasy kind of thing from the perspective of, like, a 10-year-old boy. And um, it feels more like... Like... Oh, like horror book I would have read at that age, but mm. it's also like as an adult when you read it, it's still like a very good read. Yeah. Um so the Scarlet Gospels is very different from that book. Yeah. Um so the reason I picked this book it was recommended to me there by my go. cousin. Um <clears throat> Ha, huh, I can't speak. Who will remain nameless because she's scared of the internet. Fair. That's um, she's also, like, almost 20 years older than me. So, like, when she's scared, she's scared, scared yeah. <laughs> like, it's that kind of fear of the internet. The, like, <laughs> this was just coming out when yeah. I was growing up and everything science fiction related was yeah, about how this. the internet will destroy my life. Yeah. Um, I mean, it will, but... <laughs> that's not a lie. Um, but, so, she used to read Clive Barker back in the day when he was first putting out horror. And um, and so, for context, Clive Barker is supposed to be, like, this king of horror type character. Even Stephen King really loves him. Yeah. Um, and if you like Stephen King, I think you would like... Clive Barker. I've read one of Clive Barker's. I read I read the the Hellbound Heart just this year, I think, or was it last year? Anyway, I I've read it. <laughs> it's yeah, okay. So that that'll be similar in style to this one. Um and it's like 
pretty pretty interesting. So like there is it's like really weird. It wasn't what I was expecting. So when I think of Clive Barker, everyone told me growing up that yeah. he was too grown up an adult for me to read as a yeah. kid. And so I always thought it meant because he de- he dealt with like really difficult topics on top of like the gore and stuff. But not really. No. (laughs) Like, I was expecting... Like, with Stephen King, there's always, like, an underlying kind of message at the end of it. But there isn't with this, I find. Like, I feel like the, like... I understand. Like, I had... The Hellbound Heart and this book are probably... I know that they involve... Both involve Pinhead, but, like, they're, they're pretty different stories. But, like, I didn't really get much from... The Hellbound Heart, it's kind of just, it's pretty, everything's pretty surface level. Yeah, there's not a lot to really dig deep into, which was pretty upsetting for me. Because, like, the amount of, like, acclaim Clive Barker has, like, I thought it would be at least, like, with Stephen King, where I could, like, dig into it. And there was a lot of things to unpack. Yeah, and we're not saying that Stephen King is the best horror writer, but, like, there are, there are definitely examples of times where, like, Stephen King has touched on even if i haven't liked a book of his or like a certain like whatever's going on there's been like things i've been like oh you know this was really really interesting or the way he handled this was like really cool it gave me things to, to think about and stew about when i read the hellbound heart i was just like ew yeah that was my general kind of feel to it there are some things that were like really interesting and like he took an interesting perspective with but it was very different um so why don't i start with what it's about i feel like that back cover did not really help yeah it didn't explain anything which is why i was very confused going into the book to be honest because i had no idea what it was about yeah um and i feel like maybe having read the hellbound heart it might have been better because i think there's like some allusions to things from the hellbound heart mm-hmm. that i just i'm missing cuz yeah. i didn't read it but um so the book is basically kind of looking at from what i'm understanding is this is supposed to be pinhead's backstory to, in hellbound heart um like I think the Hellbound Heart is supposed to happen after, mm-hmm. but it, like, takes place. It was written after, <clears throat> but it takes place before, is what you're... Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, that's a huge part of, like, the story basically is just, like, where did Pinhead get all of this power? And yeah. why is he that certain way because it's like it's a very popular topic amongst amongst people who are like into the whole pinhead thing like pinhead's a very popular character and like that's the reason there have been like three hellraiser or four 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 there's been a lot of hell hellraiser pinhead films yeah and they're um, all inspired by the hellbound heart but they're not based well the first the first one is essentially the book is it? First, yes, I, I haven't re- actually. I've watched the movie. I've been and told to stay away from it for so long that I've been afraid to, to watch it. But yeah. reading the books, I feel like it's just going to be more gross. Um, than in... scary. <laughs> yeah, uh, like 
they're not one for one, the book and the movie, the Hellbound Heart and the first Hellraiser. Uh, but it's like most adaptations. They take the meatiest parts of, of whatever they're adapting and they just slap it in there and they're like, they just find ways to make it into one film and Pinhead was a success. So obviously it was bound to come full circle with how much people loved the character. So like, I, I understand why this, this book has become a thing. Yeah. And so this came out in 2015 and I believe the like Hellbound Heart and Hellraiser and all that came out in the 80s. Yeah. Like eighties. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, I'm just gonna. You have things my... I can tell on your face. You have many. I have like, many things, things to say about it, like thoughts and feelings. Um. So when I talk, uh, so one one thing I noticed, yeah, was there was a a huge preoccupation with sexual violence. Yes, 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 yes. And I don't remember if we've talked about this on the podcast, but we've. Me and you have definitely talked about this before, and this is like horror's preoccupation with sexual violence. Oh, we mentioned it in when we our our episode on uh, was it uh, killer confessions or was it too cruel for school? When we were talking about hauntings, talking about how American Horror Story also had right. the same issue with the um the fixation on like this the sexual hor- like uh, anyway. Um, but one thing to keep in mind is that so. All of, like, Hellraiser, the Hellbound Heart, and all of that came out before Clive Barker came out. Mm -hmm. So Clive Barker's actually, like, a gay man. Mm -hmm. And um, my cousin actually is all like, I liked him before he came out because (laughs) his books were, like, I feel like he was more tortured. And I'm like, that's a horrible thing to say. Yeah. Um, I don't care if his work is better. (laughs) Like, don't like his work more because he was more tortured. Like, weird. Um... But honestly, I actually like The Thief of Always better than The Scarlet Gospels, and I'm assuming, like, all of the reviews on this is like, this is, like, back to the original Clive Barker, and I was like, mm, I wasn't that into it. Yeah. Um, but, like, I don't know, I just felt like he touched on things that I would have liked to see be touched on, like, further. hmm Like... I don't know. But it's, it's it's hard to Right. I was still talking about the sexual violence part. I got totally distracted. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, like so a lot of the like sexual violence could be kind of rooted in like the weird like sexual feelings he had as a closeted gay man or queer man. Um but like it's a lot. It's there in this book. It was more so at the beginning than towards the end. Um, there's a lot of fixation on genitals, a lot of naked people, a lot of people ending up naked with their genitals out, and then being hit in the genitals, their genitals cut, or yeah, they, a lot of fixation with genitals. Um, I mean, similar to like the way you're kind of like if. I was just listening to you talk, and you hadn't mentioned the Scarlet Gospels. I'd be like, "Oh, you're just describing the plot of Hell, like the, the hell, like the the Hellbound Heart. Like that's <laughs> the beginning parts, real sexual, like sexual violence, and the, oh, genitals being mutilated and all that sort of stuff." I'm like, "Oh, you're just describing that book." Yeah, um, I think like 
there's a lot of like sadomasochism kind of like built in like there's a lot of that kind of fantasy built into it and i'm not saying like sadomasochism is the same as torture and yeah whatever i'm just saying like that i feel like that fantasy is a big root of it and like this is this is like a fantasy almost for him rather than like a nightmare yeah um which is like like because i'm pretty familiar with the kink world Mm. and so like as i was reading it i was basically going like i know that fetish (laughs) (laughs) i know that thing like okay so i'm going to talk about something that happens in the prologue but um in like pretty gruesome detail i guess um so content warning sexual violence um so there's like up so the beginning is like he is killing off this order of magicians and he's um tracked down the last five to this one place and he has them like cornered and he's obviously about to kill them but then he, he starts calling one of them like a dog Oh, he, because they were like, oh, like, what should we call you? Like, your highness or whatever, your magic, whatever. He's like, master. And they're like, like a dog. And he's like, yeah, you're all like dogs to me. Mm-hmm. And so then he makes <clears throat> one of the women who's there, because there's only two women, and makes her get on her knees, get naked, get on her knees, and act like a dog. Yeah. And then the other dude was supposed to then mount her like a dog, which he did. Um, but also, he, because she'd had so many abortions in her life, and he knew this through his hell brain (laughs) magic. Yeah, magic. Um, he was like, I'm gonna impregnate you, and you won't be able to terminate it, so she has this, like, sped up pregnancy, where she goes through the entire pregnancy in, like, that scene. Oh, wow. That's awful. Then it gets talking about her growing belly and, like, her, her breasts getting, like, filled with milk and, yeah. like, just growing super fast. And it's, like, I've definitely come across pregnancy porn. Oh, yes, for sure. That's a big that thing. That is, like, That's a big this. Thing. And, like, the specific fetish of, like, the... The milk. The growing, like, super quickly. in breasts. And, like, because there's that, also that fetish of, like, um, of, like, the, the super fast, like, breast growth and stuff like that, where it's, like, oh, like, they're getting, it's, like, so, it's happening so fast, so they're, like, it hurts for them and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, like, that's basically what it's about. And, so like, she has this, like, child, and then it's never brought up. Again, like, what was the point? It's because he just, it's like, oh, I don't care about children. I just wanted to talk about this really odd thing. But, okay. Anyways. Um, some great things, I wouldn't say great. Yeah. But the better parts about this book was probably the fact that it did have a more diverse cast of characters than I'm used to. Um, I mean, not the most diverse, and there's definitely issues with some of their diversity. Yeah. Um, but, like, there's Norma Payne, who is a black, blind woman. Oh. Um, she's an older woman in this story, 
And the one thing I don't like about this character is the fact that it's like the mystical black woman trope where so popular. um, She was born blind, according to the book. And I keep hitting the mic stand. That's going to be really bad (laughs) later. Um, So she was born blind. And um, but as part of that, like, with her blindness, she could actually still, like, see ghosts. Yeah. So, um, her blindness actually gave her the ability to see ghosts, which was, like, is a kind of interesting take on it. It's, like, oh, like, you don't see what, like, sighted people see. Yeah. Um, but you're still seeing, like, something. But also kind of sucks, honestly. Like, <clears throat> being having to see ghosts for the rest of your life. Ghosts are spooky. She really liked it. Oh, So okay, in her life, like... um, she started to, like, help them. And, like, oh, she okay. became, like, famous in the ghost world, basically, for if you have, like... An issue. You know, your unfinished business or whatever you need to... Whatever to move on. You go to her, yeah. and she'll help you. And so she's that kind of character. And basically this book is Pinhead. And this is, like, kind of a spoiler because it's, like, halfway into the book. But this book is so, like, it's three it's over 350 pages long. And I just really felt like a lot of it was unnecessary. So I'm just going to, like, the first half of the book spoil it for you. Because, yeah. like, whatever. It's not like a movie where it's an hour and a half of your time, like it'll be super easy for you to watch and yeah. like spoilers suck like a book takes effort um but like in this um pinhead kidnaps norma takes her to hell and so harry and this like crew of like queer misfit characters mm. um have to travel down into hell to rescue her so it's kind of like um Orpheus. Who's the guy who went to hell for his wife in Greek mythology? It was something like Orpheus, but it's not like a wife. It's like this this woman who has been helping him do his, His like, yeah, because he's this, like, supernatural private detective, because he originally was just going to be a regular private detective, but then demons kept showing up, so. So Um, Somebody's got to do it. So it's got, like, at the beginning, it's got more of that supernatural type feel. Minus the prologue, which is just terror. Yeah. It's just like, this is people being mutilated for no reason. And you think they're going to be characters, but they're not. They're just... They're dead. They die. Immediately. Like, that's the first 20 pages. Um, It makes it pretty clear that they're not significant in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Um, But... I don't know. If you like Silent Hill and you like Constantine, I think you'd really like this book. Um, the, like, world building mm-hmm. is pretty good. Um, the kind of, like, imagining of a hellscape and, like, demons and stuff like that is very interesting. I like that. In terms of, like, the plot and stuff, as long as you're not looking for something like super heavy or like dealing with complex themes like you're not really gonna find it here like it was very surface level there wasn't really anything to really dig into it is very like euro and christian centric yeah 
which was like, it was like the biggest turnoff for me was reading it and like the assumption that hell and like these like thousands and thousands of year old demons would be like as described in like there's only one biblical like christian bible hell and it's like for something so ancient shouldn't it be like more and like i felt like like the demons were very much like there wasn't a lot of depth to them. It's like, oh, we've been around for hundreds of years, but we're also incredibly stupid. <laughs> like, that's like, oh, like, we just want to kill stuff. Blah. Like, yeah. it just... It's pretty surface. Yeah. Like, it it didn't really get into stuff very much. Um, I did like what they did with the ending. I won't describe it because, like, if you do want to read it, it it's ruined like the the best part of it is ruined, ruined yeah, if i or wanna. if i tell you it now yeah um um that i it was just a little bit more different but like i felt like the plot line was just really overdone yeah but there's um a gay relationship that happens there's like okay here's a spoiler they have a woman in the book and then like there's no chemistry between her or any of the other characters. There isn't really much. They don't really dive into her character very much. She just, like, is there suddenly. Yeah. And she's pulled into the situation. And you can tell that she has a relationship with the characters. But yeah. you don't really get to know her. And then at the end, they're like, hey, you should call her up and date her. And it's like, just like what? What, is she, what? What? And I feel like, like... Is this how gay men think straight relationships are? <laughs> like, huh, you're a, a woman and I'm a man. And we've been in the same situation together. We so clearly we must now have together. sex. That's, that's how it works. Um, and that's like a thing that I feel is very evident is like straight relationships are very foreign to this <laughs> man. Because he like every... Yeah. Like, kind of reference to straight sex is, like, weird. Well, like, even in the Hellbound Heart, from what I remember, is, like, the main the main chick, the main chick is, like, married to some dude, but she doesn't love him. I'm pretty sure Clive Barker has some real issues with women, because there is, like, literally two women in the entire book who aren't evil. And, like, oh, like, and... And, like, <laughs> like he doesn't describe them in, like, weird, twisted ways where it's, like, ooh, sinful, like, she's had this 11 abortions, and, like... It's a piece of shit, <laughs> and she does, like, and, like, she gets, I'm gonna, trigger warning, but, like, uh, she, like, gets uh, sexually assaulted by, I think, her ex-lover or whatever, oh, no. but then she's, like, I love you, and he's, like, I hate you, but I still want to have sex with you, and then he spoilers he like dies and then that's when like pinhead comes in she's like oh i'm gonna murder men so i can rebuild my abusive ex-boyfriend's body because i love him and because i want him and i'm like Ugh. and she like ends up like killing her husband too because she hates him so she can be with this shitty <clears throat> dead guy like like like, like okay <laughs> yeah it's really weird and then there's like okay so, here's the part that really ruined the book for me, and it happens pretty early on. Um, 
do not read this book if you're going to be triggered by trans misogyny because mm. there's um like it's literally one chapter in the entire thing but it really soured the entire book for me yeah so i got really excited because at first they bring in this female character and they start alluding to the fact that she's trans and the way they allude to it was like problematic yeah. in my mind um but i've also had like similar issues with trying to write trans women in like ex- trying to explicitly state someone is trans without being like and their body look look, look different right? like their body mm. didn't match their gender and you're like oh that's not that's not right that's not like, right and it's like so i was like okay as a cis gay man it's gonna be you're gonna be problematic yeah but so she comes in and then she's just like an immediate bitch just immediately and then they also like make a lot of jokes regarding her genitals and whether or not she has stuff down there yeah which was like super weird and made me feel gross um but then yeah like she you she comes in you think she's gonna help out the characters but then she's suddenly like without any explanation is like he's like you're trying to kill me and she's like what i don't know what you're talking about and he's like i know you're trying to kill me and then she's like <laughs> and like leaves and then the next thing you hear about her is she's dead so and she then was- the way that she dies is like really trans misogynistic or like the way that she's found yeah is bad so she was a, a very um, mishandled character. They might as well not have had her at all. Yeah. It was like, what was the point of having this character in here? You just wanted to make trans women feel terrible. Yeah. Um, or you just wanted to, like, be like, oh, this is shocking. Yeah. Like, it was like... Which is done way too often. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, because, like, the way they describe her is, like, her voice isn't as feminine as he was expecting. And then... She was much taller and broader than, like, he was expecting. And then and then they, like, talk about how her clothes were loose enough to hide things. And, like, I was like, oh, this is weird. But yeah. then, like, there's, there's... Then they, like, misgender her. And this is, like, right before he accuses her of, like, trying to kill him. Yeah. And then she gets, like, super pissed off. And I was sitting there reading it, like, I would be that pissed off if somebody yeah. started misgendering me. Yeah. Like, and, like, making jokes about my genitals. Like, I would try to kill that person. <laughs> and, and, like, but, like, there's really, they don't really get into it. And, like, I find that with all the female characters, even Norma, they don't really get into those characters as much. But I felt like all of the characters, you don't really get, uh, like, deep level. Like, despite the fact that it's 350 pages. pages. You don't really get to know the characters that well, so you don't really develop any kind of connection to them. I did with Norma, obviously, because, yeah. you, like... You gravitate to, to what you can get, like... Yeah, and, like, it is, like, a little bit better. Like, she's not just, like, a mystical, like, black woman-type character. She's also, like, up to mischief with the detective. She really reminds me of the woman that Deadpool lives with in the movie... Oh, her. You know, she's got a lot of attitude. Yeah. And, like, she might be blind, but she's gonna, like... Yeah, yeah, Talk yeah. shit about you yeah. anyway. She's a person. She's a real person. So, like, 
she reminds me a lot of that character, but she can see ghosts. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she, like, helps guide these ghosts and whatever. Um, but, yeah. Oh, and then I have another thing here where um, another thing that the sexual violence seems to be tied to is might be childhood sexual assault because the main character describes, like, circumstances where he was sexually abused at Catholic school by other students who were abused by the staff. Yes. And so, um, I think that's supposed to, I don't know. It might be reflective of. It might be, but I could also just be like armchair psychology Mm -hmm. it up. Yeah. Like I've definitely written a story about, a type of sexual assault I've never experienced, but I'm very familiar with, mm-hmm. like, media-wise and stuff like that. And, like, I've had to think about what would I do in that situation because it's a very real possibility. So he may not have specifically to him, but it could have been someone he, he knew. knew or he might have grown up in his school where that happened and, like, he may not have been a victim, but, you know, finding out afterwards that your classmates were going through something like that so i think that could be a part of it but not like the full thing yeah but we don't know anyways um i would definitely recommend the thief of always over this one the scarlet gospels but if you are into that like silent hill or constantine type horror uh, if you're very into, like, world building, yeah, there's a lot there to, to work with. Um, if you're more into character development and, like, plot, um, you'll be disappointed, I think. Yeah. Um, uh, like, like I was. Um, I do really prefer character development and, like, a real, like, issue at the core of like what well, the characters drive the story right yeah and i don't know i just felt like it just reminded me of those dudes who love like those dudes who define themselves by horror but all they really love is like gore fests yeah and they don't really dig deep into the and like that's just what it like reminds me of is just that kind of person and so, like, I can see as a movie why it would be so big. Yeah. Um, because it does fit into, like, the gory type of um, shock horror. Yeah. Um, but as a book, I find that's not enough. Mm-hmm. Like, in a movie, I can totally be like, okay, f- forget plot, character development, Whatever, it's an hour, half, two hours, whatever. Yeah. And, you know, just shock me and terrify me, whatever. But with, like, a 350-page book, I was just expecting more. Yeah. And especially after reading Mr. Be Gone and The Thief of Always, which I felt like he... they, Excuse me, they're much shorter books. <laughs> but I think it's because, like, with a smaller book, you're you're forced to focus more. Yeah, and I think... I feel like with this book, he was writing for a particular audience. Like, he was trying to please 
the people who were just waiting for another pinhead. That's what that's what I think it was. Like whenever you kind of write a uh, prequel to a book after <clears throat> you've had a, f- a few of like the the main and then the sequels afterwards, I feel like you're just trying to like draw it out. Draw, draw it out. You're like, oh, the fans love this thing. Well, I'm just gonna go, which is not always a bad thing, but like in this case, it seems like. That's you just kind of just like, oh, this is what people wanted. So, because I haven't read The Hellbound Heart, I can't... Every time I say it, I think of The Telltale Heart. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Which, like, by the way, is it's pretty... That one's actually pretty good. I, like, oftentimes when I think about it, I just think about, like, the creepy... How, have you ever thought about how creepy a heartbeat is? Like, just hearing, like, a lone heartbeat? Is that... Out of context? The internal monologue is what really got me in that one. And yeah. I, but okay, I haven't read The Telltale Heart since I was like 13. I've only heard an audiobook and it was like in our sixth grade class. Sixth, <laughs> sixth grade class, Miss Mitchell played it. Like the audiobook, like, like a, it was like a, anyway, point is I haven't read it, <laughs> is what I'm getting at. Yeah, and, but, I mean, that I feel like is a creepier thing because it actually like, explores like, the creepiness that already exists. I don't know. I just feel like in 2015, because that's when this book came out. Oh, wow. It's fairly new. Yeah. It it should have been better. Yeah. I think. Like, after all this time, there should have been more depth. Yeah. Or something more interesting, something. Because I found, like, the plot up until, like, the very end was very predictable. And then there was just, like, a bunch of unnecessary stuff that was just there to be, like, ooh, demons, so evil. Yeah. And it's just, like, there's no real, I, I mean, don't know, exploration, even, of demonhood and, like, like what they would be like. Like, it's very, it's assuming everyone's, like, a European white dude. Yeah. Is is basically what like that's what demons are basically or just like white dudes with like daddy issues yeah and like that's what I boil this book down to um which is not a sparkling <laughs> review but no it's it's still interesting. when I planned this out it sounded a lot less negative <laughs> you were um, we were talking about this earlier too but you're like oh I'm just gonna do like at least some good stuff some bad stuff. <laughs> Yeah, but mm, it turns out there was more bad stuff than good. Um, but yeah, like, as I was saying to Jasmine, like, I prefer Stephen King to Clive Barker. I would also but, like, agree, because I've also, we both read King and Barker. He, where is it? Right here. I think Clive Barker is so good that I am literally tongue-tied. He makes the rest of us look like we've been asleep for the past ten years. Stephen King. I feel like I do either not Stephen understand. King doesn't understand his writing or he's just being humble. He's like, I can't say I'm better than him, so... <laughs> I, I think it's just, like, a very different type. I I definitely believe that there, that Stephen King would be into this kind of, like, plotless, just horror and sexual violence type of thing. Because mm-hmm. when... There are some things in Stephen King books that make me go... Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh for, oh, for sure, for sure. There are definitely some things. Maybe you should call a psychiatrist and, and I work some things, things out. Like... <laughs> Like, you thought this thing, which is, like, sometimes weird shit comes to your mind. I get it. 
but then you wrote this thing and then was like, yeah, this has got to stay in my book so other people can see that I thought this thing and thought it was worth, like, spreading around. Yeah. So. Horror is, like, this really weird thing. It is. And Sometimes I feel guilty about, like, liking horror and I'm like, am I okay? <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It's very much like, maybe there's something wrong with me because there's... Because sometimes I look at horror fans and I'm like, the reason you like this thing is for a very wrong reason. Yeah. But then I'm looking at my own like collection of stuff and I'm like, maybe, maybe that's me. <laughs> maybe me too. Horror is, horror is a weird, but horror is a, is, horror is a weird thing. It's very, it's very weird. Um, so... And also, I just, it really upset me (laughs) that, like, even these, like, thousand-of-year-old demons still have this notion of binary genders and sexes. Yeah. And it's, like... Which is very much, like, a a human-made thing. Yeah, and it's, like, that doesn't actually make sense. Like, man-made that. And I just feel like, like, in the 80s, I would let that slide because, like, we weren't really dealing with a lot of this stuff. In the 80s, like, it wasn't really being discussed, so it's like, okay, I get why you wouldn't really go there, but it's 2015. That wasn't that long ago. Obama was the president at the time. Coming. Why would you bring that up? (laughs) Because, like, it just just goes to show, like... A lot of time has passed since... (laughs) Well, like... But even at that time, a a lot of stuff was going on politically, like, in terms of social issues that were publicly, you know, made available for anyone yeah. living in, like, North America or whatever to have access to. So the, the fact and, that like, he did like, 2015 didn't... is when Caitlyn Jenner came out, and there was a lot of discussions about trans issues and gender, and, like, there was just so much going on that I just felt like, like, it was stale, where it was like, okay, I've seen this kind of exploration of, like, hell being a reproduction of, like, these, like, Christian values or whatever, yeah. but in, like, a really twisted way, and it's like, like, they have the same power structures and this and that, but, like, it's just like, well, this has been done before, yeah. and I get that this is, like, a world he's revisiting, but... I don't know. It just felt pandery, I guess. Like, like he didn't really sit down and really think it through. He was just like... It might have just been that, like, he's like, oh, I've had the success of my previous ones. I don't, like, I don't really need to do much else. Like, I'm good. I'm Gucci. Like, I don't need to really worry. Yeah. Anyways, that's all I have to say on that. Hi! Do you listen to stuff with your ears? Do you laugh at things with your mouth? Do you use podcasts as a proxy for friends? Maybe you should check us out, because we got you covered. I'm Leany. And I'm Bunny. And we host a fortnightly podcast called Talk Spooky to Me, covering all things a little bit spooky. You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and all the other podcasting apps. Unless they're shit. <laughs> you can follow us on at TalkSpooky if you want to be friends on Twitter. And by the way, we're British. Yep. (laughs) Okay, love ya. And I love spending time with you. 
Yeah. <clears throat> we spent some quite some time on our first two, but I think, like, I'm going to try to keep my next one a little bit shorter. Um, I do want to say I definitely struggled picking what I wanted to do for my, 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 my second horror horror thriller whatever recommendation um i'm just gonna plug a few things in here that i i want to talk about the junji ito collection which is like a a very graphic horror manga series of short stories some of them like a little bit comedic but oftentimes um they're pretty it's kind of like watching someone in like a raft heading towards a waterfall and there's no way you can stop it and then they go over and that's it like wow. that's what a lot of his stories are, <laughs> but the art—if you're like a—if you're someone who really likes visual stuff but don't want to watch a movie like turning pages, the Junji Ito collection. The stories are really really interesting. Um, they are very 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 grotesque in terms of like the kind of things, the kind of creatures, and like things that he manages to conjure out of his mind onto a page. But I think it's also really cool um, that. Um, yeah, you showed me the art earlier, or, like, um, like a couple panels. panels. from um, one of the more f- famous um, stories in the collection. And, like, the art is really good. Like, the amount of detail that... It's it's why. a style that I am very into, that, like, realist, real realistic, but surreal. Yeah. Like, yeah. That, that realistic surrealism. Yeah. I don't know how to describe it. Where It's not like your typical... Typica, typical like manga anime art style. Um, so if you want something that's a little more, little more grainy, like literally, like you can definitely see. Do not watch the anime. The anime came out just this year. It does not do it justice at all. Like it's so flat and not scary whatsoever. It's almost kind of funny how bad it is. Mm-hmm. The animation is very cheap and is anyway. So that was one thing I wanted to mention. I wanted to also talk about. Get Out, but I feel like it's still too soon to talk about Get Out, because it just and came I out still this year. Seen yeah, and I want you to watch that, so Get Out is a good one. Uh, Hereditary, um, uh, A Quiet Place. These are all recent movies and films that I have liked. Um, so those were things I was kind of flip-flopping with, but since you mentioned King, I was like, you know what? I want to talk about Pet Cemetery. You haven't seen it, or read the book. No. But, like... I did try to watch it. I did not get very far. Yeah, I, I was also, to... <laughs> like, 10 or 11 at the time, but that's not the point. <laughs> I wanted to talk about it because, like, the way that... Mari has a cat, a black cat, and there's a black cat in Pet Cemetery, And, like, the way she was lying down kind of reminded me of a scene in the book and in the series. Um, so, Pet Cemetery is pretty self-explanatory. It's, it's a place where there are a bunch of pets buried. Cemetery. That's where we bury our dead. Um, and... But... But, but, but... Um, but it's... Isn't it supposed to be, like... Isn't it one of those, like, it's on Indian burial grounds or whatever? So, what happens... Because at is, least in the movie, not, that's how they explained it at the beginning, was, like... Uh, it was the just movie, off the movie, or whatever. The movie and, and book differs. I've... I've read the book and watched the movie. I don't remember the movie as well, so I can't really speak so much for it. Um, but in the book, a family moves to a town. And I'm not going to hold back on spoilers for this, because this movie came out, like, in the 90s, I'm pretty sure. Or, like, early 2000s. 90s or early 2000s, or maybe Could earlier. have even been 80s. Could have been even the 80s. So it's, it's, Late 80s, early 90s, yeah, I would say. So it's old AF, um, as fuck, for those who aren't <laughs> young and hip and cool, like me. Um, okay. So hip and cool. Yes. <laughs> Um, That's not a joke at all. 
So this family moves to a small town. Um, I don't remember if it's in Maine. Most Stephen King's movie um, works take place at some in some place in Maine because that's where he's from. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm sure it's the Midwest at least. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they move to a house. Um, the father is not a writer because usually in his yeah everyone's <laughs> a writer. But to be fair, all of my early works <laughs> literally everybody was a writer. <laughs> He actually works at a school, um, um, like, nurse's office. I don't know what it's called. Like, like the health, like that. Um, so, yeah, they move to town. They, they, they build. They, they build. They move into this house. Um, it's a mother, a father, a cat that the dad hates, but the kids love. Um, and so a, a daughter and a little boy. And the house is cool. It's great big yard good for family everyone has their own room you know it's a big life decision and the neighbor across the street is an older couple and um so the first part of the book is just kind of getting to know the family like husband and wife they're they're good they're good sure they have their arguments from time to time but you can tell they have a solid relationship for the most part um he loves his kids they can be annoying as fuck but i mean <laughs> that's kids you love them, but they can be annoying as hell. Um, so, spoilers. This is where spoilers comes in. They're playing outside, and the young kid, I don't remember his name, um, he gets hit by a truck. Because right. his, yeah. his like ball or whatever goes out into the street, and no one's paying attention to him. the cat stuff happens first. Oh, yes, you're right. The cat, They have a cat who the dad hates. <clears throat> and the cat uh, ends up dying... I gets thought. flattened in the road, yeah, and they're like, oh, shit. <laughs> what do? Like, the, the dad is the only one who's aware of this. The mom doesn't know. Their kids don't yeah, know. Yeah, okay, I remember. Yeah, no, nobody knows but him. And their kind neighbor, who is an older couple, the old man, um, who is now formed a relationship with the family, because they're like, oh, we're old. We're nosy about our neighbors. We're going to get close to them because, you know, we want some company. Um... And so he's like, "Yo, I know that we 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 are we are we are friends, and that I've shown you the pet cemetery. The pet cemetery is like a little patch of land, a couple of minutes walk from their 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 house. Where mm-hmm. like it's just down like a many, path. Or yeah, something. many generations of kids have buried their pets. However, further from there, there is another path to the I don't want to say the real pet cemetery." But where shit gets real, real, real intense. So he's like, listen, you know, all these things happened in the past. So-and-so's dog came back to life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, was like, sh- was shot. He was dead, but came back to life when I was a kid. And we were like, well, how'd that happen? So I will, I will take you to this place. So I don't have to see your ca- kids be sad about your cat being dead. And um, so they bring the cat back to life. It's not completely there. The cat smells like death. Like, it smells like rotting flesh. Um, and as the time goes on in the book, it does start to kind of fall apart a little bit. Um, like, it doesn't walk right. It's kind of wobbly. And 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 um, the more it's alive, the more aggressive it becomes. Okay. Yeah. Zombie cat. Zombie cat. But everyone's just like, oh... Our cat's just a little bit stinky, but it's fine. 
I don't remember him being this stinky, but it's fine. I love him. Oh, he's cold. It's fine. Oh, he's not really breathing, but it's fine. We love our cat. And he's like, the dad's like, oh, phew. Sweat <laughs> off my brow. No one can tell the difference. It's fine. But then shortly after, Kagan, his youngest son, his only son, his youngest child gets hit by a car. And he's like, okay, I'll just, I'll just bury, we'll bury him in a normal cemetery. But the book deals with like, he struggles a lot with what to do about it. He's like, I know this place exists, but no, it's wrong. I should just let my son rest because he was in all sorts of bits when the accident happened. And it deal it, a lot of it deals less so with the supernatural and more so with grief. Mm-hmm. And like, if you had the option to bring someone back <clears throat> to life, would you, would you do it? And so, he doesn't necessarily make the decision to bring his child back to life, probably till close to the end of the book. A lot of the middle chunk is just him being like the family dealing with the, like the, the young daughter. She's just like, Oh, you know, he's gone. Like, how do I process this feelings? I'm a eight year or seven year old girl or whatever. I just learned how to read. Like, how do I process that? This little two year old, three year old kid or whatever just died because death is hard for kids to kind of grasp and Mm -hmm. as far as she's concerned her cat never died it's still there and you know the mother dealing with a lot of grief and so that's what we talked about before earlier king versus um barker where like there's a lot of things to sort of unpack in a lot of stephen king's works besides just the horror aspect of it like grief, relationships, um, also like like with The Shining, um, oh, that was about alcoholism. Yeah, and I think they even explore that in Doctor Sleep, which is the like sequel or follow up book to it. Although I still haven't finished that one. Yeah, and um, anyway, so I'm getting depressed now because like I'm just like, oh man. Everyone was so sad. They went from being like a very lively household to like suddenly they're trying to go on with life like it's normal. Yeah. Like everything is okay, but there are little reminders that there's a little life here. That's now gone. That's now gone. Forever. Or is it? Um, <sighs> so after a while, things th- things are just becoming too much for him. You know, the house, the house is just like he's like, oh, everyone's sad. I'm the head of the household. I've got to fix this. i It's my responsibility to make us a family again. Mm-hmm. And like, mind you, it's not like he they bury him one day and the next day, he digs him up again. This goes on for quite some time, and over the course of their grieving and like, I think a couple of maybe a couple of weeks, maybe I don't remember. Don't at me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> their elderly neighbor his wife passes away um and he's like yo don't do it don't bring your son back to life there was an instance back in the day where someone did that and that person was never the same like it's not right it's not okay let the dead be dead obviously doesn't listen he sends his wife and daughter away and they can sense something's wrong they can tell something's up even his daughter is like i know you're up to no good like, you're going to do something bad. And he's like, no, shh, shh, it's fine. You know nothing. Go, go, go. I love you. Bye. I'll join you guys later. Everything will be fine. I'm going to make things better. He digs up his son. His son 
he goes to the, he breaks into the cemetery and he digs up his son. Um, and like he's repulsed by the corpse, obviously, because he's been dead for some time. And he brings him back to life and immediately regrets it because his son has been dead long enough to the point where he's not his son. Mm-hmm. The thing with the pet cemetery is that what you bring back is not, I guess, the soul of the one that you lost. Yeah, it's like the body. It's just the body. What comes back is something else, and I left this out because I want to talk about this later, is that on the way to the actual pet cemetery, there's like a set of rules. Like, don't look around, like, don't listen to anything, just keep going on the path, and like, keep looking forward. Because every time they make a trip to the actual pet cemetery, there's like these lights. And I think these ghost lights are kind of in reference to like, you know those old stories where like, people would be like, lost in the woods, and they'd see like, these little lights in the distance and like Mm -hmm. usually that was not a good sign um aliens (laughs) (laughs) i've been watching a lot of (laughs) x-files aliens lights off in the woods aliens (laughs) and i'd hear a lot of bad things essentially it's like it's like a walking nightmare to get to the pet cemetery um and so the brought back child ends up killing his neighbor the old man um and the father has to make the decision to now kill his brought back son and he struggles with that because he's like i know you're not my son but you're still my son you wear his face but you're not him (coughs) sorry and then what gets me is that his wife and his daughter realize something's wrong so his wife comes back she turns right around they're halfway across the country She, she finds a way to come back she's like my husband is going to fuck up. I need to go get him before this man messes up. But she's too late. And their son kills him. And he's like, oh no, what did I do? This is all my fault. I shouldn't have brought our son back. Or my lovely wife, who I love so much, wouldn't be dead. So he goes to the pet cemetery. And he buries his wife. Oh my goodness. And, <laughs> and then, and then the book ends, and the movie ends in the same way, where she, where he's like... The next day, he wakes up, and she's at the door, all covered in dirt, looking all crooked, and she's all like, hi, honey, or whatever, and I'm like, oh, you didn't learn anything! (laughs) You learned nothing! Zero things! You learned zero things out of all! You learned nothing! Like, this was a 300-page book. (laughs) You had three instances where you brought something back to life, or at least two prior instances where you brought something back to life, and it went wrong! Maybe he was thinking, third time's the charm. (laughs) He's like, oh, she died right away. It's fine. Like, everything is good when she comes back. We'll be a family again. I'm like, what? Why? I mean, I think that's supposed to be part of the grief. Yeah, Yeah. it's like he just never learned to deal with his grief. His his grief. Well, like, if you constantly are like, oh, this person's dead and I can't deal with it, let me bring them back to life. And it calls into question, like, once again, like, if you knew there was a way to bring bring someone back to life, would you do it? Like, if you knew if you just walked through a really terrifying path for, like, three hours because it takes a long time to get to the actual pet cemetery would you do it for the chance to have your loved one back like sure they might be like smelly and like a little bit off but maybe it'd work out but i think it also t- 
talks about, like, what are you really missing if you don't care if the person who comes back isn't is, really that person? Yeah. Because he, at this point, he knows that, like, they don't come back the same. Like, besides, like, the physical changes, they don't come back the same. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, they're so wrapped up in this as long as that person is there no matter what form they're they are in as long as I guess they look like the person that you miss then like is it worth it and I think it alludes to him being killed by his wife because I mean I think she's like standing in the door with like a knife in her hand or something and he's just like oh honey like oh she's just like so enamored by seeing that his wife is his wife, in quotation marks, is back. So, I mean, despite my frustration with the main character and him, his constant, like, because, like, the moral of the story, I think, is if he just focused on the, the ones that were still alive, none of the shit would have happened. Yeah, like, if he just taught his kids to deal with grief. Like, if he just focused on, like, trying to, like, it's, it's, I've never lost a child. Or, like, just, like, even, like, if he just dealt with, doing the hard stuff as a parent instead of trying to like cop out and just give the kids what they want yeah just like they could have moved on like yes they would have been minus one son and a cat but like it happens in real life people just have to move on and like you still have people alive there with you you don't neglect them because someone else is gone well you can even go as far to say is that we don't know if the son would have been killed had they not brought back the cat because when you think about a lot of like um reanimation stories a lot of what is involved is you take a life to give a life yeah and so like a lot of times some of the like unforeseen repercussions is because you brought back this person another person had to die yeah, for me it's almost like a chain reaction because it's made very clear that whatever is in the pet cemetery is an evil force that is trying to get out. And, like, it was almost predestined. Like, because he, he, there's like, there's like a physical almost, like, wall of stones to get to the actual pet cemetery. Because he crossed that line, he was inviting all of this stuff to happen. Because he did it once, it was, he was just asking for it in that way. Like, he set off the chain of reaction. So if he'd never crossed that line, it would have never happened. So he literally crossed the line. He literally crossed the line. He literally crossed the line and it ended up making him lose everything everything that was dear to him. Because we have to assume if he dies, that little girl's... Well, she stays with her. Oh, I guess if her mom... Is evil. Then she'll (laughs) be like, oh, now time to get my daughter and... And well, her like, as too. soon as the daughter sees her, she would run up to her and be like, hey, mom, like, whatever. Because she's not going to be like, I'm assuming she doesn't know that the mother's dead. Because well, this would have happened. Um, what happens in the book is that, like, it's because of the daughter that her mom was back. Because I think her daughter keeps having these, like, nightmares. And she's like, something's wrong, something's wrong. I keep seeing, like, I keep seeing, like, all these things. And she's like, at first she's just like, oh, you're just upset because we're... We're going halfway across the country to my my parents and leaving your dad behind because your brother is dead and whatever. Um, and I think, I, if I'm remembering correctly, like, the daughter has almost, like, a sixth sense in a sense. Where I, like, 
Kane does this a lot where, like... Like with Danny in The Shining? Oh, where, like, kids can kind of sense, like, what's going on. Yeah, where she... I think, I think if I remember correctly, that she can kind of knows that, like, her mom is dead, too. And that she's left all alone in the world to deal with all this by herself. Losing everything. Which is tough. Yeah. For a little girl. I'm sad. <laughs> <laughs> this was supposed to be light, Jasmine. <laughs> it was. But honestly, I did really like the book for the most part. Um, I don't really remember much of the movie, but it's fairly, fairly close to the book if you don't feel like sitting down and reading the book. I mean, it's old as, as hell, but it's watchable, I think. But don't watch the sequel. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Or if you want to wait, they're doing a Pet Cemetery, like, they're rebooting it, like, movie sometime in the next few years, so. I mean, when it comes to Stephen King, you don't really need to reboot stuff. Like, there's enough content there that you can just keep making new Stephen King movies. He's and you don't have to repeat the movies. <laughs> but sometimes they, they end up, as much as I love Tim Curry as Pennywise the Clown... Like, the new It, what Bill Skarsgård brought to Pennywise, the, the Bill? Is it Bill? Yeah, Bill Skarsgård brought to Pennywise the Clown. Wasn't necessarily better, but it was a really cool iteration that we would have never seen unless they had decided to take another turn at It. Yeah, I feel like the miniseries, which I didn't know was a miniseries till you told me. Yeah, it is. I <laughs> thought it was just a really long-ass movie. <laughs> they wanted to do a whole thing with it. Um, but I remember that one not being that good in comparison to the book. Yeah. Like, there was a lot of stuff that they didn't really... Yeah. I know it's been loved by a lot of people, but, like, this book is so long. It's, like, a thousand pages. It's, like, the longest book I've ever read in my entire life. It's thick. So, like, there's a lot of stuff. A lot of things, like, I think are kind of unnecessary, but, like, it's... There's a lot of stuff, and you're not gonna... You're not gonna be able to get it all okay get the right kind of feeling but in, in comparison yes it to the scarlet gospels which is only 360 pages oh <laughs> there was way more unnecessary stuff in the scarlet gospels than yeah. i felt like was in it but i also haven't read it in like 10 years so yeah, and the thing when i say unnecessary things in it i just feel like stephen king is one of those writers kind of like J.R.L. token who takes like forever to describe things sometimes you'd be like that one leaf had a little hole in it and in that hole the edges were an auburn color and that leaf slowly fell towards the ground it did a loop and then it fell and then it crinkled and then it went back up and like what are you talking about like, oh and then johnny passes i'm like 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 I don't need 20 pages of this one leaf when it's never going to be mentioned again or has anything to do with anything. Like, so King does that a lot. That gets frustrating for me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's Pet Cemetery. Cool. So, I saved the best for last. Mm. So I do have a recommendation that's actually a recommendation. Um, so this movie was actually recommended to me from the host of Queer Woman of Color, the podcast. Um, so she left a comment on our, I think it was the Dangers of Being Disabled 
podcast mm-hmm. um where because we were talking about like movies with disabled characters yeah. like specifically in horror and she recommended hush and so i've seen hush on netflix for a while now but i have been too afraid to watch it <laughs> um and oh my goodness you should have seen me watch this movie <laughs> i did not handle it well at all i'll probably watch it tonight or tomorrow <laughs> it's so good I love this movie. Really? I literally, like, we watched it, and then we put on an episode of X-Files after, and halfway into the episode of X-Files, I turned to my partner and was like, but do you remember that part of the movie (laughs) where, like, this happened? And, like, I was, like, so... I'm glad I watched it last night. Yeah. Because if I watched it earlier in the week, I would have gone crazy not talking to someone about it. So that was, like, that good that you're, like, I'm about to burst like, if how you felt about, about Cabin in the Woods yeah, when I you told me like... to watch Cabin in the Woods? <laughs> like, that is how I feel about Hush. Yeah. It was so good. So, Hush is a horror thriller slasher, yeah. I would say, um, about a deaf writer who lives out in the woods. So, she lives in a very rural area, Almost very the secluded. Place to be. Well, because she's a writer and she's trying to remove all distractions yeah. and all of this stuff. She mo- she lives out in this secluded area. And what's interesting is, like, so I was, like, shitting all over the Scarlet Gospels. Yeah. Because there wasn't that much of, like, a plot or, like, you know, much like... substance to it. <laughs> and when you really look at Hush, there isn't actually that much to it. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, so she's in, um, she's, she's deaf and mute. Okay. Um, that's important to include as well. Uh, so she, she can't speak in a horror film. Um, and, um, she gets, um, and then there's like this dude in a mask who like comes upon her house, realizes she's deaf Mm -hmm. because he... So I'm going to describe the beginning of the movie to you because it's, like, really, like, they just dive right into it, basically. So, like, the start of the movie is her trying to, like, cook dinner, and then her friend Sarah comes over from next door. And, like, next door is, like, pretty far away, considering what I said about her living in the woods. And so, um, the, so her friend Sarah comes over and they talk for a while Um, and she ends up burning her dinner, whatever, and so then, um, Sarah ends up leaving. So as she's cleaning up Mm -hmm. her, like, burnt dinner and stuff like that, you see Sarah run back to the house covered in dirt and blood. Oh, dang. And she starts banging on the door, Mm -hmm. um, on, like, the glass door, um, behind um, Maddie. Maddie's the character. Okay. Uh, the main character. And so, but Maddie is is facing the wrong direction. So she wouldn't be able to tell. So she doesn't see at all mm-hmm. um, what's happening, and she obviously can't hear it. Yeah. So, like, so visual she's, cues is the only way she'd know. She's continuing on, like, cleaning up her kitchen or whatever, and this guy in this white mask, it's a very creepy mask. Like, it kind of reminds me of, um... But anyways, it's just, like, this white mask that covers just the face.
face part of his yeah. face. Like, you can see, like, the bottom of his... Oh, so it's, like, the kind of mask that, like, doesn't really completely conceal your 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 fleshy bits on your face? Yeah. But it's it's literally just, like, eye holes and then, like, a, like a line from the mouth and, like, that's it. There's no real features to it. So yeah. it just looks like the guy's got no features on his face basically. well kind of like why mannequins are so scary it's like it's the, it's imitating human a human form but it's like no there's nothing going on so super creepy anyways he comes up and he's stabbing her against this glass yeah window door and he looks inside and he realizes that she hasn't realized what's happening and he's like tapping on the glass and she's not responding and so he drags the body away and sneaks into her house. Yeah. And um so basically it's um he and then he like goes and he like takes a bunch of pictures of her as he as she's like going around the house and he sends them to her after leaving the house again. So he's outside. Yeah. And she's getting the photos from her phone on her laptop because she has an iPhone so she has that iMessage thing where you get the messages on both your phone and the computer yeah and so she gets a message from herself that's just an image file and she looks at it and it's a picture of her on her computer and then it's a picture of her walking around trying to find her cat because her cat went missing after the fire alarm went off and because she's deaf she has this really intense fire alarm that's so loud you can feel it vibrate yeah so that she would notice and and like the flashing light so obviously it's so loud the cat freaks out runs out so she thinks like and there's like a scene where she's like on facetime with somebody and they're like i thought i saw someone behind you and she's like oh it's probably just my cat and like also they sign throughout this movie a lot yeah um which was really interesting and great and um like, I thought it was going to be really problematic at the beginning because, like, the neighbor comes over and she starts signing. And then <laughs> I did weird things with my hands that yeah, were you're... not anywhere close to signing. Yeah. But, um, so she starts signing. And then Maddie's like, you don't have to sign. Like, I can read lips. And she's like, but I want to learn. And I was like, oh, good. Yeah. Like, because there's a lot of times where deaf people are and stuff and then they're like oh but it's fine you don't have to change how you speak to me just like i can read lips like don't like act like i'm not even deaf um but she's like no like i want to learn i'm getting better um you know like we're taking another class yeah blah blah blah. and so i really like that as part of the movie because there is like signing and stuff like that so she's like signing to her sister on the computer and her sister's like huh, like, I thought I saw something move behind you. Um, and I know you're home alone, that stuff. <clears throat> and so, after she gets off the phone, um, that's when the, like, pictures start. And then she goes to her door where the last photo was taken from. Yeah. And she sees him outside the door in his mask, like, right outside her door, just standing there with her phone. And... Um, so she goes and she locks all of her doors and the rest of the movie is her trying to, so, cause he's got her phone, which is her only way to get in contact yeah. with the world. And then he cuts her power, um, so that her Wi-Fi is down. And so she can't even like connect to 
like the Wi-Fi calling. Yeah. And um, she has to figure out how to get away from him because he's all like, I like I know how to get inside. Like I'll get inside. I'm just gonna wait until you're too scared. Yeah. And like that's the whole movie. And oh my goodness, I was so afraid the well, entire time. It's the whole like he's remo- he he's the one in well it happens a lot in horror but like the per- the person who's doing the bad stuff is the one in control mm-hmm. and like but this is cranked up to a whole other level because he's removed every single like opportunity for her to be able to reach out for help and yeah. he's playing with her and he also assumes because she's deaf she's helpless yeah that she's incapable of like her he's already he's already told her your situation is hopeless there's absolutely nothing you can do in your power to stop me from from killing you. So I'm just going to play with you until I'm ready to finish you off. Like, there's, there's nothing you can do. Your fate's already decided. That's it. And, okay. So, the best part of this movie is its use of silence. So you know how a lot of horror movies will use the, like, creepy music to, like, amp you up? This movie, I, like, can't remember a score at all. Like, there might have been, like, a little bit. But they use silence a lot mm. for this movie. And... It had me on the edge of my seat, and by the edge of my seat, I mean curled up into a ball with my knees and my hands covering my face, going, no, 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 just constantly. Silence is a really useful technique, because a lot of people are getting kind of like, oh, horror is not as good as it used to be, because you just hear a loud sound, and then something scary pops out. Like, that's kind of what it's been defaulted to when you talk about horror. But, like, the only thing I can relate to is a quiet place, because, like, I can understand in a sense where, like, how powerful silence is as a horror technique when, like, there's no music cues. You're, all you hear is, like, say, the person breathing or, like, their footsteps sound so loud when there's no, there's no sound, there's no um, score backing it. Like, every single sound that is in the movie becomes so much more ominous and, like, life-threatening. It's, like... You don't know what kind of sound or action may lead to this person's demise. Yeah. There's no cues. There's nothing. So it's... And it's so terrifying because she has to try and keep him in her line of sight. Yeah. Almost the entire time, even though he's outside of the house and she's inside. Because if she loses sight of him, she can't... There's no way for her to track him. It's not like... Yeah. She can, like, hear him coming up the stairs or, you know, like, banging on a window or something like that. Like, she has to constantly be seeing him. And as an audience member. like, so (laughs) hard. It's so hard to watch. And then she goes and she does shit where you're like, what, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? And because, oh, my goodness, I can't. It's just really good. And you have to watch it. The only, like, negative thing I really have to say, I wrote down Oh, so you something. could, like, actually remember. <clears throat> um, oh, yeah. It's, like, there's a couple things. And one of them is that it is a super white cast. Um, they, like, make it seem 
like there's gonna be this one black guy in the movie because it's like her ex and like he texts her and then she like but she's all like oh like i shouldn't talk to him but then she goes to like facetime him so you see his profile which is the only reason why i know he's a black guy and then she's like no i can't talk to him and then like the movie starts and then he's never in it ever again and then i was like but so it's a cast it's actually so it's literally just a cast of like three people and one of those people die in like the first 10 minutes uh more like four because somebody else comes in later but i don't want to say nothing yeah because it's actually like it was like there was actual twists where I wasn't seeing things coming. Because I was wondering, I'm like, I'm like, how long can you, how much of a, how can you base a movie off of just what you told me? Like, how long can that be where he's just playing with her and she's just keeping him in her line of sight? So they have to introduce, like, another element into it. But it's, like, towards the end, and it's, like, it doesn't change it, like, like, the situation all well, that yeah. much. But, oh my goodness, it's just... It's, it was, like, a really good take on a very overdone plot. Yeah, the whole house. The home intruder. Home intruder, that's it, home intruder. Um, who just wants to murder for no real discernible reason. Yeah. Just, uh, sadism. I murder because I murder, and that's it. Yeah, like, power, control, that kind of thing. But... And, like, also, like, aside from, like, her deafness, like, her as a writer was really great. Because mm-hmm. they, like, she's, she, like, talks about with, like, the, the, her friend Sarah, like, about writing. And she's, like, oh, it's, like, like, a movie in my head. But it's, like, a frustrating movie because I come up with, like, so many different endings. Because there's so many different ways it can end. And then I have to figure out which ending I want. Mm-hmm. And, like, the way she actually describes writing and, like, stuff like that actually seems like a writer. Where I've watched other movies and, like, read books and stuff that have writers. And it's just like, and then she sits down at the table and she pounds up the book and that's it. That's the whole process of writing. And there's, like, a scene where she's, like, trying to, like, write the, like, one of her endings. One of her seven endings. And... She just starts going, blah, 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 ending stuff, send me money now. And it's just, like, exactly what well, every writer I've known it does. It makes, makes me wonder, like, either the person who wrote the screenplay for this movie did a lot of research, or they are a writer themselves. Like, like a, like a <clears throat> not just a movie writer, but like a, like a, like a writer, writer. Well, um, so the movie was written by the main actress and her husband. Oh. And um this was her first time screenwriting. Uh. I didn't see anything in her bio about uh, being a writer otherwise. Yeah. Which is like why I thought it was like so weird cuz it's like wait, this is you're not even like like a writer writer and you're getting writers better than I've seen Other some writers. writers. Like it's not just this magical thing where you just, like, come up with a story and it's over and done with, like... Beginning, middle, end, done. And then, like, the way that she processes a story comes up later, and the way they deal with that is just so amazing and good. And then there's just, like... It's... 
I think the only the only other th- negative thing I would say about it is that the main actress and writer isn't deaf. Ah. Uh. Um. So this movie came out in 2016. Um. So it's not like the Quiet Place where the actor was or the actress the yeah, young the actress, girl the daughter yeah was deaf um she's not at least from what i can find in her bio like there's no mention of it so that's really disappointing but there is a lot more nuance so i feel like maybe she actually did her research and like got to know some deaf people well i mean like you probably it'd be nice if we could hear from like deaf people who have watched the film and asked if they thought that she did like a like a good job yeah of, like for example i know a lot of people who um what's that, what's that movie where that lady fucks the fish <laughs> oh, oh shape of water shape of, shape of, <laughs> 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 but um I mean, spoiler sorry <laughs> sorry um I don't think it's a spoiler at this point. I'm pretty sure knows. everybody's made that joke. <laughs> everybody knows. Um, but like uh, Sally Sally Hawkins, Sally Hawkins is the actress who plays the main the main character. Um, a lot of people had had pointed out that um, the character is is mute in the film. I believe is she. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. So she speaks through sign. They're like the the way she did it. I, I don't know why I did this. Um, the way she did it was like people were like like. Um, She's like a very good job of like signing well and also conveying emotions through signs mm-hmm. in like a very believable way and like emotional way because a lot of people, well, I've I meant heard people mention that like signing can feel almost like lacking in emotion in a sense and I feel like that's kind of BS because like oh no that's know. very very BS I was so I was on a panel last weekend or the weekend before um where one of the other panelists was a deaf artist yeah and they were signing um throughout the panel and there were like several times where i was just so enwrapped by watching them sign Mm -hmm. that like um because like their emo like their passion was coming through so clearly you were like there was clear emotions and what they were like and like the intensity in which they sign the speed the yeah um there's parts where you like hit against yourself and like those would be like thud like it was really like watching was it's the same way like, I felt the same way when I watch anybody talk about something they're yeah. passionate about. And that, like, th- the way that, like, they get very wrapped up in, in what they're talking about. And you can you can see that it's becoming, like, yeah. they're just trying to get it out as fast as possible. and Like, like you would with talking or anything. It's just, like, most people should know by now that words are the only way to convey emotions. We do it through our music, through our, our bodies, through, like, there's so many different ways to express expression. express ourselves and words are the only emotive way you don't need to hear someone get louder or lower their voice to be able to tell how passionately they may feel about a particular thing yeah and so like yeah i feel like 
they probably could have done more with the signing in that sense in Hush. Um, just because, like, yeah, like, she isn't actually deaf or mute. Yeah. And so, like, she must have learned ASL for this. But I don't know. Um, it was nice to see signing in the movie. And it was nice to see other characters being like, I want to sign. I want to do you right. Yeah, I want to communicate with you, so I'm going to communicate with you in an accessible way. Yeah. But overall, 10 out of 10 would... I would not watch again. It was so stressful. I know. I'll watch. I'll see what happens. I'll let you know how I feel when I watch it. stressed out. It was actually scary. And it's one of those movies where you actually do, like, shout out to the character, like, no, 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 don't, don't open the door, like, don't do, like, what are you doing, like, don't try that, that's not gonna work, or whatever, and, like, like, she's such a badass character, Yeah. and, oh my goodness, it's it's just so good and yeah like please watch it's, it it's good and to then hear like you talk message about me something. about it because I want to talk about it so bad. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned this because I'm like I'm like oh I want to talk about like like kind of like like the horror media media we like to consume and when you start off with the, the previous one I was like oh no <laughs> oh no like you don't you don't like this <laughs> no if if hush hadn't turned out as good as it did i was gonna pick something else instead of the scarlet gospels because i was just like you know maybe i'll just do like a game or one of my shows like i yeah. was even thinking about doing x-files yeah um because i'm doing a rewatch now yeah um so what i'm hoping that you guys will get from this probably very very long episode but i hope that maybe we've, like, introduced some movies or books or whatever that you might be interested in watching, but also um, hear about what kinds of things we look for. Not only in all our media, but, like, uh, just horror specifically. Like, it's nice to see, like, not the standard typical home invasion, because they're all, them's all be the same. Yeah. They all end up the same. It's nice to see twists and turns in our horror, just because horror's been around for... Mm. I guess horror is actually kind of one of the newer genres when it comes to, like, like movies and stuff. Like, the kind of horror that we... Well, I mean, horror As, like, an entertainment... As an entertainment, um... Has been around as long as movies have been around. Yeah. Prior to that, though, it is, I guess. It's a... I, 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 Relatively newer... Yeah. And I feel like it's too early in the game to be getting so stale um, when it comes to horror. Yeah, like, I, there's a lot of perspectives that just get overlooked all the time so we can reproduce the same horror movie. Yeah. I and feel- I, like, so Stephen King has this nonfiction book called Dance Macabre, mm-hmm. um, which is about the genre of horror. Yeah. And, um... One thing I think was really interesting that he says in it is that very rarely do people make good horror. Like, even, like, our classics, when you actually look at the, like, filmography. Mm. Is it filmography? Isn't it? I don't know. I get my (laughs) words mixed up all the time. 
Um, but like, yeah, like if you look at their filmographies, like they'll have like a ton of work behind them, but only one of them yeah. ever makes it to that like horror classic stage. Like even when you look at the movies with a hundred sequels, only the first one's ever really that yeah. great. Or like only one of them is ever that great. And then the rest are kind of just trying to build Recreate on. Yeah. that. I feel like like comedy horror is hard <clears throat> to do. It's really, really hard to do, so I understand why there are so many misses. But I also feel like it's because horror... Ha- people haven't really explored with horror. Mm-hmm. They haven't explored with as many themes as you would in your classic, I don't know, like... Mm, drama film or something. They haven't explored with as many diverse views in horror. It's still kind of pretty niche. And yeah, a very... and I mean, it's a, like... In terms of writing, predominantly male genre. Predominantly white. Very white genre, uh, regardless of which medium you're looking at it from. Yeah. Uh, like, like, there are no other podcasts that I'm aware of that deal with horror that are led by people of color. Because yeah, it's, it, horror almost... At least in my lifetime, I can say, lifetime, I can say, it's very much been like, it's not really for you. Mm-hmm. And by you, I mean Jasmine, a black woman. Like, yeah. it's not, it's not, what's, what is it going to give you? Well, I mean, just look at the way it's been written for so long. Like, how many movies is the black character killed off first? Where, like, their token character is so like dehumanized even that they don't even get like a storyline if they're even in it and like even when they are it's very two-dimensional caricatures um with no like real people yeah and i think only recently are we actually getting more and like that's why get out was such a huge success because it actually well i mean it used, like, real-life horror. It was like, hey, like, these things have all actually happened yeah. in real life at some point in time. It was clever in that sense where it's like, here are some not-so-real-life things to be afraid of, but here are also some real things that are scary as well. And, you know, it worked. This is going to be a whole diversity spiel, but, like, people are like, oh, all movies are the same, everything's the same, it's just, like, nothing's new anymore. It's because you're the same kind of people are writing them or directing them or whatever. You can't get a new perspective when the same kind of people are doing something. Yeah. It's always going to feel stale then. Nothing's going to move forward. So, horror is is severely falling behind. Not that the rest of the movie genres are, like, are like perfect now, but horror has a lot of catching up to do. Well, I think it also comes from the fact that a lot of people don't take horror seriously. Yeah. And it's so never a lot of an people Oscar winner. do go in assuming, like, there isn't anything really there. And, like, if you're coming into the genre to create, and that's how you feel about horror, you're not going to create anything new or different because you're going to be like, oh, all horror, surface level, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But there's so much of horror that is... Like, uh, like, a lot of the horror that finds huge success, I find, personally, is stuff that hits on contemporary issues, like, 
current day issues that we're we're dealing with and that is the root of our current fears right now like real fears and like it actually says something at the end of it and not just demons like to tear people's intestines out of their buttholes (laughs) (laughs) i knew you were gonna say that but like (laughs) i'm like where else would intestines come out of buttholes obviously it could be through the tum tum you create a wound and you can you know usually that's where evisceration happens yeah my belly buttons are already gross enough as is like, you don't need to pull intestines out of belly buttons. They're already, like... Just think about someone putting their finger in my belly buttons make me uncomfortable. Well, how does someone putting their finger in your butthole make you feel? <laughs> that, too. But no one's ever done that to me, so I mean, like... I know what it's supposed to have someone's finger in my belly button, and I did not enjoy it. <laughs> I mean, I feel like the latter is actually probably more enjoyable than getting your... The finger in your belly button? Like, it's, like... It's weird and uncomfortable. Yeah, don't and touch my second mouth hole. Like, don't do that. There are many a people who enjoy their tuchus being exactly. tittled. Tittled? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's, it's everyone looks something different. But anyway, anyway, like, what we're trying to get at is horror, do better. Yeah. Which is, I'm, I'm going to... Apply to everything else. Yeah. But, like... Since this is specifically about... Well, also, like, I am trying to be a horror writer. Yeah. I guess. I haven't So you're, like, internally being like, Mari, do better. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, well, sometimes it feels like I'm being pressured into being a writer because it's just, like, everyone else is so shitty. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I have to do it Like, I have to do it now or else no one will fucking... Or else there'll never be a good thing ever again. Explore (laughs) demons from, like... Yeah. An interesting way ever in life. Like, we'll get the same perspective on demons forever if I don't do something. I don't know if that, that reminds me. You keep mentioning that. I just thought of, like, this is slightly off topic, but a little bit. Y'all, read them. Um, read freaking Anansi Boys. Freaking Neil Gaiman did something clever with that. It's the first time I've ever read a book about, like, not normal, mythic, not mythical, gods. Like, he incorporated a bunch of, like, African and South Asian, like... Religions. Religions and stuff that I would never... Would have thought to put in a, like, a... And West Indian culture! I'm, like, like, I know you're a white man, but, like, you've made me feel things that... This is a good sound. This is a good sound. Like... Oh, I actually found out that there is a Canadian author, I think it's David Sheriandi, who actually wrote a book called Sukuyant... Which is about Sukuyans, which, if you don't remember from our... Or Mythical Buttholes episode. Yes, yes. Um, that is a type of vampire from Trinidad and, like, the Caribbean. Yeah. And now I have to go read it. Because, <laughs> like, I'm so intrigued. Because I was like, Indo-Caribbean people? <gasps> what? Writing about this stuff? Like, cool, cool. <laughs> but yeah, this was a fun episode. Um, well, a lot longer than I thought we would, but like, there was more to unpack in some of the stuff than I thought there would be. I went on a lot longer about the Scarlet Gospels. Than because I... you had a lot of qualms about that one. I And like, I didn't even, like, I didn't think I would go on that long about it. 
because it was like, literally just going. like a few lines. Like I literally, I had half a page of notes. Yep. When usually the episodes have me with six to eight pages. Like so many pages to be right. But yeah, apparently I can talk forever on any topic regardless of how prepared I am. <laughs> <laughs> but I think we should do this again. Yeah, just have one of these more mm, free-flowing episodes about... And actually, I think this might be our six-month mark. And I feel like this was a good way to celebrate six months, too. And my birthday. And your birthday. That's (laughs) the most important. Yes. Even if I forgot to buy you cake today. (laughs) It's fine. I'll buy myself a cake this week. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. I I also <laughs> bought myself a cake for my birthday this year. So. Every year, a wild jasmine leaves her domain to buy herself a birthday cake. That's that's Sir David Attenborough narrating my sad sad birthday. Um, All right. Yeah. So uh, don't forget to continue the conversation. Oh, continue the conversation. Yes. On the social medias. Yeah. We have a Facebook page. Oh Go yeah, we do. Like it. Facebook page, we have our Instagram, we have our Twitter. Um, so just search up Six Out World Podcast and we will pop up somewhere. So, uh, just look for our art as yeah. the profile thumbnail and just like tell us, tell us your favorite horror books, like movies, shows, video games. What like, is your what is the one that you love to talk about? Yeah. To whoever will listen. Exactly. Who, which, which is the movie, book, TV show, or video game that you immediately called somebody up when you finished <laughs> and was like, hey, I need you to complete this thing. Right now. So that we can talk about it. <laughs> and then, you know what? Maybe we'll watch, yeah. read, or play the thing. Exactly. And then we'll talk about it. Sharing is caring, y'all. Um, so, as we always say, and this will always stand forever and always... Don't be a murderer. And we will talk to you guys next time. Bye. (laughs) Bye.